We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School Podcast. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Tuesday night against the Brooklyn Nets. I gotta be completely honest with you, there is no juice for me going into this game. I know it's New York against Brooklyn. I know the proximity of these two teams usually means that we get up for it and the rivalry and yada, yada, yada. Maybe it's the fact that Brooklyn is 4-15 and in their last 19 games and they're out of the play-in at the moment. Maybe it's the fact that the rivalry of KD, Kyrie, and Harden has just taken all of the smoke out of this rivalry. And, like, Mikael Bridges is one of us. He went to Villanova. So why am I going to hate someone that went to Villanova? Dems the rules. Uh, maybe it's the fact that um, the other three teams in the Atlantic just mean more to me now, whether it's we're chasing... Uh, Phil, uh, chasing uh, uh, Boston and, you know, the Philadelphia of it all, these two teams that we expect to see in the postseason and look forward to seeing. And like Toronto, for obvious reasons, is a team we care more about. All of the above, there's just no buzz going into this game. However, that didn't stop me from trying to inject some buzz into this matchup, which is why you're going to hear from Jack Manuel, who is one half of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast, which is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I've said many times that I don't know any Nets fans, and I've never really met one in, in real life. So I had to go to Australia to find a Nets fan, which should speak to the proximity as far as I'm concerned when it comes to meeting Nets fans. Uh, Jack was awesome. I really think you're going to enjoy his perspective, not just because it's of a Nets fan that is really feeling it. They're going through it at the moment. There are moments where I think they're quitting on their coach. And there's moments like Sunday when they give up a, an 18 point fourth quarter lead to the Clippers, which included a 22 nothing run. Uh, or you'll just enjoy hearing from another basketball fan talk intelligently about basketball. Some Knicks news. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, who was taken out early in the game on Saturday against Toronto, uh, it was reported originally that this was a sore ankle or a sprained ankle, and, and it was up in the air what his status was. Well, Ian Bagley reported that it is Achilles tendonitis, which um, is caused by overuse. And I got to say that I wonder if we can point to games where Isaiah Hartenstein was overused. Uh, so the minutes, of course, will be a conversation going forward with this basketball team. Hopefully they make a move. Hopefully Tibbs gets more creative with rotations so we don't empty the tank in January. How's that? Let's 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 phrase it that way. Um, one team that we don't have to worry about uh, emptying the tank against, hopefully, is the Brooklyn Nets in this matchup. So let's get into it and preview it. My conversation with Jack Manuel of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast. Enjoy. Jack, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure, bud. So I, I know for a fact that there will be Knicks fans, because and this is going to come off as so condescending, and I apologize if this is what I'm going to say from the start. Knicks fans are surprised when we see Nets fans let alone that there's one over in Australia. So if you don't mind just giving your origin story, what made you a Nets fan, my friend? Yeah, mate. So me and uh, my brother, we're on a family trip uh, around America, going across a few states here and there. And we were starting to get into basketball. This is probably... 
decade or so ago. And we're deciding between a few different teams. He's deciding between the Bulls and the Clippers. I'm deciding between like the Heat and the Nets because like I really like LeBron James back then. I, lo- I love like Jay-Z. I love the New York. And I wanted to like not be sort of a, the follower of like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go with the Nets. And then, you know, a couple of years later, the KG stuff happens. And that was sort of a, a nice little thing. But wanted to keep things under the radar, not sort of go with the the following of the Knicks and probably, you know, and then a couple of years later, meet Nick and we do some writing together and then the buzz begins. So unfortunately for the Knicks, there's plenty of Knicks fans everywhere, mate. So like you guys don't need me. The Nets need me right now. They need me. So two follow-ups. The first one is that there is like a, a legitimate Knicks contingent that they, they have. A, we have a couple of patrons. Shout out to Dean. I know he's going to be listening to this. Um, he's from Australia. And it was always like, a, oh, there. if we ever did want to take like a Knicks road trip or a Knicks film school road trip to Australia, we could just like congregate with a lot of Knicks fans. You're right there. And I got to say, when the Nets came to Brooklyn and I like grew up in, in Long Island, like right outside the city. And because Knicks, Knicks tickets were so expensive, the way I used to go to basketball games growing up was I drove to Jersey. And uh, that's how I was able to go see basketball games. And when they came to Brooklyn and that option no longer became available, the marketing uh, ploy from what I heard was that, well, we want to start getting Nets fans that are in New York. And lo and behold, they did actually attract a Nets fan when that move happened. It just happened to be in Australia instead. So uh, it's interesting that you chose that team. And I got, as you mentioned, if you want to talk about just specifically the Brooklyn Nets, they have been interesting in your time as a fan, and they have gone from acquiring stars that uh, some some may be past their prime in KG and Paul Pierce. Some may be in their prime, like the the big three era that happened a couple of years ago. And now we settle on this current team that I, I the last Knicks Nets pod we had. I I told my guests that I I didn't have any like ill will toward this team. It was weird calling this like an inner city rivalry. Because like the vibes that I sense from Brooklyn are very like, I mean, you 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 tell me is this is a weird season to really evaluate where you don't have your pick, but you have some nice pieces. The expectations of a championship are gone, but there's clearly some frustration. So in all of that, how are the vibes as far as Nets fans are concerned this season? Yeah, I mean, right now, Andrew, they're probably at an all-time low. Not an all-time mm. low, but an all-season low after you know giving up a 22-0 run. That's the true. Clippers the overall, real quick, for those who don't know, the Nets were up by 11 with about four minutes left, I believe it was. They were up by 18 at the start of the fourth, so... The uh, gigantic, uh, you could say collapse. You could also say comeback by the Clippers who went nuclear in the final five minutes of the game, which featured a 22 nothing run uh, headed by uh, Kawhi Leonard, but continue. Yeah, so I sort of just wanted to deep dive a little bit on like the schedule. And I know there was like a little mini stretch where the Nets were going quite well. So starting in November 26, the Nets went six of eight. They won against Miami and that leading into the Phoenix game. Things were all hunky-dory. You know, they beat Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, beat KD, the, the big three in Phoenix for the first time, their comeback, and they sort of dampened things happening over there. Since that date, the Nets have been four and 15. Like one of the worst teams in the NBA, statistically, eye tests. Like there's no semblance of joy in watching. And anyone who is a Brooklyn Buzz listener would know that hearing me and Nick sort of say, there's a sense of apathy with the team right now. And you'd rather be angry and frustrated and have that sense of passion. But some of that is tending to wane given some of the decisions, lack of decisions happening, you know, at the top of the helm from ownership, front office, coaching. It just seems to be one of those times where things, something has to change. Accountability needs to be had and just something has to happen because plotting along this sort of path is a, is a road to nowhere. To your point, uh, when you look at the overall numbers on the season, which isn't fair to do because, like you said, there's a checkpoint that you point to, the December 14th date. The Nets are 15th in offense. They're 19th in defense, 20th in net rating. So that does show a team that struggled, but mostly been around the middle of the pack. But when you go from that date uh, in offense, they are 26th in defense. They are 23rd. And then in net rating, they are 27th. Only the Pistons, the Blazers and the Hornets are worse than them in net rating since that date. So that that speaks to your point that it's been it's been bad. And you mentioned accountability and change. What's the change you want to see? 
Look, I think most fans, I'm, I've, won, I've been one to like not advocate for anyone to lose their jobs, but Jacques Vaughn and what he's done at the helm as head coach leaves a lot to be desired. Now, I'm not saying firing the coach would fix all the issues, but there needs to be a semblance of a circuit breaker. Now, whether that is, you know, Kevin Ollie gets, you know, uh, promoted to the, the head coaching role, a trade is made, Spencer Dinwiddie, DFS, Royce, others could be moved. Something just needs to happen, like because accepting this semblance of mediocrity is not what professional sports is about. You're in the business of wins and losses and championships, and the Nets have been in that business and close to winning that business at a certain point in time in years past. But where we are right now, it's just as you alluded to, those numbers of late, they've been legitimately one of the worst teams to watch. And you outline those sort of three teams. At least those three teams have young talent on the rise that you can sort of ride your hat on, a LaMelo Ball, a Cade Cunningham, and Anthony Simon, Scoot Henderson. The Nets have a Cam Thomas, but I think a lot of fans, including me, aren't really enjoying the Cam Thomas experience as much as we should be, given how his role has been fluctuating, I guess, is probably the best word I can think of right now. So to the Knicks fan that doesn't watch a ton of Nets games, what do you mean by fluctuating? So he initially started the season as a starter and a lot of Nets fans were happy with that. He had a really big preseason, put in a lot of work in terms of his decision-making, his shot selection, his playmaking for himself and others. And he plays pretty well. Then there comes a point where the Nets are struggling a little bit and DFS takes his spot and the numbers we're reflective of that. And I think some of Nets fans might have been arguing, uh, me personally as well, because I think that the priority when you aren't a team that is going for it all or even a top four seed like the Knicks or around that sort of mark, you should be prioritizing player development. And for me, the player development that should be prioritized above others is the guy who is averaging 20 plus points. And at an early point in the season was averaging like 27 before that ankle injury. And then he comes, starts to come off the bench. And his comeback from an ankle injury was, you know, it, it has its fits and spurts, but of late, you know, the Lakers game coming off the bench, the Clippers game was one of the most all round games he's ever had in terms of his playmaking. He tied a season high, a career high in six assists. His past three games, he's had four plus assists. He's starting to figure things out in terms of playing the game and making the right decisions overall. He's developing good chemistry with others, including Nick Claxton. Look, I could speak for ages about Cam Thomas. I just think, honestly, and I put out a tweet the other day, when he have averages 30-plus minutes per game, he scores 25 points on good efficiency, has like two, three, four assists. He just needs to be the guy that gets a consistent role. I understand Mikael Bridges is the foundation, and we've heard that plenty of times. We're seeing that all, all over the socials, but Cam Thomas is that guy that's on the come up, and I think that the Nets fans really want to see his role expanded. Well, do you sense that as far as the front office and maybe the organization in general has any kind of expectations on winning this year? Like, I, I agree with you. And uh, from a fan perspective, once you realize that the season isn't doesn't have the ceiling you want, you stop caring about a floor. And I'm I'm curious if after the, the Katie Kyrie Harden era that, that those championship expectations have been lifted. But do you sense there's a floor like they're a game out of the play-in at the moment? Do you do you get the idea that the Jock Vaughn and Sean Marks that they're making those types of changes that don't prioritize player development because they're trying to make the play-in and that's a that's a floor that they're trying to hit? Oh, absolutely. We've heard that like incessantly. And yeah. when when the the reports come from Brian Lewis and other like close sources that we know are mouthpieces from Sean Marks and or Joe Sy, it's about being a semi-competitive team so that Houston Rockets pick and and as well as the future Houston Rockets pick aren't like Billy King era, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Damian Lillard sort of picks. And I get that to an extent. I understand the rationale somewhat, but prioritizing that and sacrificing development it just those two things don't mesh, and yeah. it's funny. Like right after the big era of the the big three era, even the big two era, when and the big one era when KD was sort of leading the team, when Kyrie had his absences, there was like lots of quotes from Brian Windhorse, and the big one was like, "Joe Sy would rather have a team that has like low expectations, good vibes, good culture, than deal with all the hassle that comes with superstars, their egos, and such." and I think a lot of us have held that quote to him for quite a while and something that has been frustrating for me personally and probably a lot of other Nets fans. But 
at the end of the day, there needs to be something as a fan that you're like, damn, I'm, I can't wait to watch the Nets games right now. And for me, that's probably Cam Thomas and Mikel Bridges, his development, Nick Claxton. But there's a lot of other factors that you sort of... It's the you're in the middle of purgatory right now. It feels somewhat as next fan, Nets fans, sorry, or as Knicks fans, and you, you look at the the doldrums of like the the bottom five. It's just like those guys are looking for the picks. The Nets don't have their own picks, so they're they're tied to like wanting Phoenix to being an awful team, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So it's just one of those weird spots for Nets fans to be in. So the the interesting part for from my perspective is. Like, because, like you said, they don't have their pick this year. And because they, or is it a swap this year? Or is it they don't have their pick this year? They don't have their pick this year. It's Houston. So yeah. this is the Houston has full control over their pick this year. Yeah. And like, like the, the Knicks a couple of years ago, before the, the season before Jalen Brunson, like very early on, we realized this is like a playing team. This is a very mid team that is not going to be the four seed again. And all those long twos that Julius Randle was hitting are not going to fall this year. And, you know, like we, we, we recognized that before the front office did. And I don't think the front office, I, I think they also had a baseline floor of needing to either make the playoffs or play in. And there was a frustration, like you said, that if you're not like, like let's see Emmanuel quickly for a ton. Let's see Obi Toppin for a ton. Let's hand the keys over to these kids and prioritize development. And it didn't happen until 11 games left in the year. Um, we also, like, there was an Evan Fournier angle to it and a Kemba Walker angle to it that those moves, that like, this, this, these offseason moves just, like, didn't work and were now creating roadblocks for the kids in the way. So, speaking on behalf of Nets fans, who are the roadblocks in the way that either draw the ire from the fans, like, why am I watching this, this guy play? Um, and, you know but could potentially want to see them not play for the Nets anymore. Yeah, look, I think the two names that spring to mind, especially of later, Cam Johnson, and maybe to a lesser extent, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's had a nice little two-game stretch in Los Angeles. And look, he Spencer Dinwiddie liked to tweet the other day talking about the front office and how his role has been mixed and matched and he's been promised a trade, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then today he responds to a tweet sort of saying true shooting, quality shot quality about him being having the worst field goal percentage in the league on a guy of decent volume. And then he starts responding to the replies. So I think Spencer is long for Brooklyn from everything that I've heard. He was promised a trade at a certain point. He was promised even maybe a contract at a certain point. Those negotiations about price and length, you know, really sort of fell down the hill. So mm-hmm. I don't know how long Spencer did when he's, and, you know, he's been linked to the Lakers now. He's, you know, there's, can they get him for DeJounte Murray? And Cam Johnson, I think. Had a bit, had a really good playoff series against the the Philadelphia 76ers last year. And you can make an argument that he was as good as Mikhail and maybe our best player during that. And that earned him a, a pretty big payday. You know, four years, $94 million guaranteed. And then there's a lot of incentives attached, which I don't think he's going to be getting for this season anyway, because his, his game is just very flat in terms mm. of he, there's no sense of dynamism to it. Like he's lost his true elite three point shooting marksmanship. He doesn't do a lot defensively. If anything, like he's a bit of a sieve because he doesn't have that physicality. You know, his rebounding has dropped. His playmaking for others hasn't really improved. You know, all the things that you would expect when a guy gets a big contract to sort of make that jump, like, you know, Jalen Brunson has, you know, in New York, it's stagnated. And if anything, it's gone backwards for the likes of Cam Johnson. Now, his contract is probably a negative asset right now. And some fans are talking about, let's try and offload him while there is at least a semblance of value. I don't see that happening. I think that Sean Marks is a big fan of his and Mikel Bridges, you know, all that sort of thing. I think that they're going to be, he's going to be in Brooklyn for as long as probably Mikel Bridges is. But in saying that, those two guys, because Spencer is the one that a lot of people are saying, Cam Thomas should be starting over him. But Spencer Dimity has been pretty good of late. So I think Jacques Vaughn is, uh, and Sean Marks and how they're, managing things in general, whether it's lineups, rotations, you know, player egos and gifting minutes to guys that might not deserve it, nepotism, blah, 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 blah. It just seems to me that there's a, a semblance of mismanagement within the Brooklyn Nets franchise right now. So you mentioned that Spencer Dinwiddie might not be long for, for Brooklyn. And man, how the I'll just say how the mighty have fallen. Because I remember Spencer Dinwiddie trolling Knicks fans on Twitter in 2019. Like, you're not getting anybody. Kerry's coming here. And I believe he was like part of the recruitment to mm-hmm. get the big three, or at least the big yep. two at the time, to Brooklyn. 
And now here in his second go around with Brooklyn, it, it's it's really gone gone south for sure. Um, who are the who are the keepers? Like who are the untouchables as you approach this deadline? And then of course I'm going to ask you who you have a target on, who as far as you want to go get. But who is like you know what? It's not even don't even bring them up. Like they are not trading this person. It's Mikael Bridges, and whether that is right or wrong, you know, we've heard plenty of rumors about, you know, the four first round picks from Memphis, and then Brian Lewis reports and others report about the fact that the Nets are going to be building around him. He's a foundational piece. Now, mm-hmm. Mikael Bridges isn't your number one foundational piece, but because of the nature of his contract, like he might be on the best contract in the NBA, you know, around so 21. Good. It's just, and yeah. like, it's another couple of years. And obviously, he'll get an extension. The Nets will need to think about that over the coming years. But as we currently stand it, the, he is a foundational piece because of that. Now, for me, the other foundational piece is Cam Thomas because if you have a young guy that has you know oodles of offensive talent, you just want to nurture that and grow that. And I think a lot of fans, when you draft a certain piece and you see him on the come up, there's a, there's a semblance of connection to him that is almost like intangible and unexplainable. I think that, but in, in seasons past, there have been rumors about trading Cam Thomas and for first round picks. So I don't know how the franchise views him in comparison to the fans, or at least me, who's been called Cam Thomas obsessed at, at different times. Nick Claxton seems to be a priority as well. We spoke to Mike Scotto, sort of saying how he wants to be in Brooklyn long term, and rival executives saying he could earn twenty million dollars plus, up to upwards of twenty-seven million dollars. Now, I'm not sure of the price, but it seems to me he is somewhat of a priority. But again, conflicting reports about that, given that in the past he's been on the trading block. So there's not a lot. There's a, and and I think that probably breeds the instability somewhat too because you've got guys on vet minimums you've got guys that are in trade rumors you've got guys and and how does that sort of breed the culture in the locker room and and beyond so i think that outside of mikhail bridges most guys don't have that semblance and probably cam johnson to to an extent as well because of his contract and his status a lot of other guys are like okay what are we doing here and so it's interesting We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, the the, the deals that I hear the Nets always rumored in and and this is like a testament just to the nets and how much they i, I know i have been a net a knicks fan at time to poke fun at the nets that's for sure but you can't deny the footprint they now have in the market and we heard all summer like the nets are being mentioned as a dame destination and like the donovan mitchell stuff from the month and a half ago now the Cavs have righted the ship but i fully expect the Cavs when they eventually make Donovan Mitchell available potentially this summer, the Nets will be involved in talks. And I, I, I'm curious where you come down on this as far as like if a, if a big name is available, whether it be this deadline or the summer, but it's going to take one of the untouchables, are you willing to pull the trigger? And more specifically, do you think the front office is willing to pull the trigger? I think the front office is willing to pull the trigger. I think they're in the business of star hunting because... Joe Sy wants to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. I think that's his his big priority right now. The, the ratings have dropped drastically. Some like 40% I think has been reported for Yes Network. And that's yeah. because you don't have Katie, you don't have Kyrie, you don't have James Harden. Like who wants to watch Cam Johnson for 33 minutes a night and Spencer Dinwiddie dribble the air out of the basketball? Now, again, had a couple of good games of late. So the Nets are, are going to be in the business of star hunting. We've heard that they don't think that a New York team can handle a rebuild. Now, I 
don't completely don't agree with that at all. You know, the term, the word retooling over rebuilding keeps sort of coming up. Now, does that mean that they go after DeJounte and Donovan Mitchell and there's your sort of star two paired with Mikel Bridges? Is that going to really move the needle to the highest degree? Maybe I can't see them being anything better than like a, a four seed in, in the East, especially when the there's other teams that have so much better collections of talent. So I think the Nets will be in the business of star hunting. It's what those stars, who those stars are. Like, I don't know how available your prime A Luka Doncic's and Joel Embiid and whether they're going to want to go to Brooklyn. You know, it's going to be the tier two sort of guys, tier three sort of guys like DeJounte, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns. Those guys are going to be around it. And it's funnily enough, the Knicks are going to be bidding for those same sort of guys. And I think the Knicks versus the Nets in terms of the draft assets, in terms of the asset battle, like I don't know who wins that. Like it may be the Knicks and the Knicks draw. That it, it seems to me like right now, the Knicks are in an upgraded version of what the Nets were under D'Lo, Carol Savert and stuff, which allowed them to draw in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, build the franchise into some semblance of credibility. But the high-level credibility that the Knicks do have, as well as the cachet of you know the Knicks brands, seems to me that I think players would be more drawn to that than where the Brooklyn Nets currently are. That's a fascinating characterization of the Knicks right now, that they're an upgraded version of that D'Lo team that made the, what the six seed. And, yeah, something like and- that, yeah. But it, like you, as far as an upgraded version, it's like the Knicks are might put a scare into one of the top two teams. And look, there's there's some of us silly enough to believe that we should be in that conversation post Ananobi trade. But I I do remember that net season, and I went in with no like I, I it was dismissive. Like I'll be be transparent about it. And then got halfway through, and the Nets are like in every game. They're pulling out these wins against good teams. Joe Harris and um, the Karis Levert and all of these younger players, and I was like, "Oh, that's like a fun team with no expectations, and they're going to make the playoffs this year." And then, of course, they had the off season that Knicks fans wanted to have in in 2019. Having said that, uh, like you said, the 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 Knicks being competent, I think, changes the equation as far as the star hunting this summer. And I always, I will always wonder if if I could. Just, it's the only 2019 off season question I I have for you. If the Knicks were competent that offseason, do you think the Nets have the same offseason they do? Or did it just like help that DeAndre Jordan was able to spend three months with the Knicks and was like, bro, KD, you can't go there. I was, you just yeah. can't go there. <laughs> I was literally going to say that. And I think Kyrie was the leader in all of this as well. Kyrie mm-hmm. having his ties to New Jersey, being a New Jersey sort of fan when he was a kid, having his ties right. to Jason Kidd and that sort of thing. So it seemed to me that Kyrie was leading the way. We saw the sort of conversations on All-Star Weekend. I think that KD, you know, could have even easily sort of... I think KD is, is young kettle of fish, but I think that there it was a battle between those two. And whether KD wanted to be under the bright lights, he seems to be, you know, as we've sort of seen of late, a guy that doesn't really care about the spotlight and just likes to go out there and hoop and, and get his points and hopefully get a bit of credibility for the way he plays basketball. So I think that there was, you know, if we're talking about the, I think DeAndre going there certainly didn't hurt the Nets' chances at all. Whether like that was the be all and end all, I think like it was maybe not 50-50, but I'd say like 60-40. Like I think the Knicks were the other team. You know, I, I remember waking up and Nick sort of texting me, they did it. And that's like that Woj tweet. I'm like, I was literally thinking, I remember saying on like so many Brooklyn buses leading up to that, I'm like, why would they come to the Nets when the Knicks are right there? And there was like the marketing by the, the Knicks PR team where it's like they had KD in a photo and then they took him off the photo. And it's just like, that's kind of weird. But yeah, I think revisionist history it could be interesting to see where both teams are at if you know the, the big three had gone there. Hey, Jack, you know what I was thinking throughout that process? Why would they go to Brooklyn when the Knicks are right there? Oh, <laughs> 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 and behold, I found out, oh, the, the Knicks being right there does not matter. In fact, that might have been the reason why they went to Brooklyn because <laughs> the Knicks are right there. Okay, let's go avoid that mess. Um, but, you know, I, I'm obviously happy with where the Knicks are and, and the, the spot they're in. And I'm, I'm curious as a Nets fan. Now, this is where the dynamic is different because mostly I, I, I talk to Nets fans that grew up in Jersey around Knicks fans and grew up in Brooklyn even around Knicks fans and more specifically grew up in the area. Like I'm a, I'm a Mets fan too. So I grew up around Yankee fans my whole life. And 
like no disrespect, but they're the most annoying humans on the planet. <laughs> and like I hear it all the time. And oh, the Mets won today. Twenty seven rings. Kiss them. And I, I just like the Knicks don't have the rings to tell you to kiss, but they just outnumber you. Now, you being in, in where you are in the world, I don't think you I don't I'm assuming you don't have that dynamic where the annoyance of Knicks fans is there, but I'm sure on the internet you've seen it. So your experience within your relationship to, to Knicks fans and that rivalry, can you shed some shed some light on it? Yeah, one of my good mates who again is from Australia, currently living in Vietnam, is a, a big Knicks mm. fan. And I think it's more in general, like when the Nets are versing the Knicks, like there's always that little brother sort of syndrome that comes up that you're alluding to with the Mets and the Yankees. Now, sometimes it's cool being the little brother. It doesn't really matter. There's less expectations. And I think as they start to see of late, the Nets are ch- trying to be marketed as this worldwide team. Not something I totally get or agree with. It's like, you know, have a good on-field product, then start marketing yourself as a certain team. But I do get that, you know, the Paris game sort of show that like there was an overwhelming majority of Nets fans over Cavs fans. So that's that's a cool thing. And maybe that's under Joe's size sort of leadership. He's seeing those sort of opportunities, whether those are the right opportunities and the right trajectory. But in terms of like the Nets versus Knicks thing, it's just like I enjoy it but I'm not as invested in it because I'm not there. I'm not in the Northern Hemisphere right now. I get it a lot on Twitter. Like, it's just like the replies go crazy. I have like the Julius Randall's son. I have so many memes saved of him for whenever the Knicks do <laughs> oh, something no. poorly. There's like the the KD one, like when he's getting asked by the Knicks fans, when are, when are you coming to the Knicks? And he's like, never. Like, never. I've got all, all those memes saved and it's fun. It's enjoyable to sort of watch, but for me, because it's it's more like prevalent in some of the other sports down here or like the country sort of rivalries with like different sports that I probably hit more close to home in terms of my heart. But, you know, that's maybe some people might say, oh, I'm not a real Nets fan if you don't hate the Knicks. So like, I do. Like, I, I, like it's not to say that like I'm, I'm not like I, in terms of like the teams that I would rank in terms of like I want to beat the most if the Nets are only going to win like five games a year. The Knicks are right at the top of that list. But I don't have the same probably level of vitriol as people who are living over there in the same sort of boroughs. So you're actually you jumped ahead to a a question I have. Let's actually go there now. The Mount Rushmore of rivals that I I usually close every pod with this. But the the four teams that you look forward to playing on the schedule every year more than anyone. I assume the Knicks are going to be on it, of course. But, you know, if you want to say the Knicks and then three others who are you could by your consideration and your opinion, like who are the biggest Nets rivals? Yeah, outside of the Knicks, I had the Celtics and the Sixers. Now, again, all three of those teams are just so much better than the Nets are right now that it's just like, oh, if we can win those games, you ride your hat home on it. You know, some of the time I like hate Sixers fans and Celtics fans more than the Knicks. In fact, I probably might, given like the recent history in terms of games, you know, some playoff series here and there. And then outside of that, I had to sort of do like a duo sort of Western Conference uh, compatriots in the Lakers and the Suns, just because it's mm. the Lakers. And like, who doesn't want to beat the Lakers if mm-hmm. no matter what team you are? And the Suns, because of the recent history with Kevin Durant, the recent history with Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. So that win this year was pretty sweet. Now, obviously, our form since then, as we ch- chatted about earlier, leaves a lot to be desired. So maybe I'll take that win back if the Nets had won four or five more games over the last couple of months. But in saying that, those I, I I cheated. I did five teams, but I sort of did four A and four B. You're good. You're good. I your Mount Rushmore can have as many vases as you want it on it to have. You know, if you if you'd like to. I think the I think the the interesting part about the Nets and their the rivals you just mentioned is like the reason why you wouldn't have any ire toward the Knicks or might have more ire toward the the Sixers and the uh, the Celtics than the Knicks is like the Knicks and Nets met in the playoffs in 2004. And I believe once in the nineties and there's just like never really been a playoff rivalry between the two. It's only regional and outside of 2013 where the Knicks were the two seed, the Nets were the four seed. It's just like never really been these two teams are good at the same time. And then you get like, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Evan Roberts, famous Nets fan from Twitter last year. And like, he was saying how we need a Knicks Nets first round matchup and like a three, six next last season, which is ironic. We were talking before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving got traded. And 
I don't know, but like, how would you process like if this season was the year that we get like, say the Knicks make another trade, they jump into the two seed because that's the only way I foresee this happening. It's like it's a two seven, and the Nets like traded for Dejounte Murray and went on a run, and like that's the first real playoff series that matters since because like the two thousand four one, the Nets swept the Knicks and. I don't think a Knicks fan had an expectation of anything that year. It was just like, all right, we're somewhat competent. And we came to found out like, are you prepared for a Knicks Nets playoff matchup? Look, I don't know if I'm mentally prepared for that because like the games (laughs) are always have that little bit of extra juice in the regular season. They're always like high stakes to bragging rights and such. You know, I can't imagine it's almost hard for me to fathom what that sort of would look like and probably why I listed those other teams as you were sort of chatting about. But in saying that, I think that'd be best for basketball in New York. I think despite the fact that maybe the Knicks would get all the headlines and get all the front pages, get all the the press and whatever, if the Nets were to take like one or two games off them and sort of you know, change the narrative, get a little bit of bragging rights here or there, there's no way that the Nets are better than the Knicks. Like I remember doing like crazy hot takes in preseason with Nick on the buzz. I'm like, the Nets are going to have a better record than the Knicks. I'm like, I'm going to have to eat the most humblest of pie and it's going to taste like shit. But mm-hmm. in saying that, the, I think... When games matter, like they're on national TV, like that Lakers game against and when Cam Thomas showed out, when they're on national TV or when they have significant stakes like a player for a play-in, that's when rivalries can be created. Like you, like the NBA is being bereft of rivalries because it's a lot of player versus player stuff. So building the team thing, it'll be cool to see if at any point in the next five to 10 years, both the Nets and the Knicks are competing somewhat because I think that'll be good for basketball because New York is... Like, you know, a, a hub of culture, sport, and so many other things. So hopefully the Nets can get their shit together. Well, we'll see if they get their shit together. And I guess, well, two more questions before I let you get out of here. The the player that you actually want to trade for, who's the target that you're looking for in, in the upcoming deadline? Yeah, look, I the name DeJounte Murray seems to be the one that's getting a lot of traction. Now, for me, like, you know, I, I can be a sicko and go Jonathan Kaminga, Jaden <laughs> Ivey, Quinton Grimes, but uh, DeJounte Murray would move the needle the most. But in in, in saying that, like, uh, 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 people who know or listen to the buzz just always probably hear me say this. Whatever the package is, it's going to be what dis- determines how I feel about the trade because mm. now the Lakers are in and they're willing to get, we've got the Sham Singh from D'Lo and their first in 2029. Can the Nets outbid that? Yeah, they can because they have, you know, a level of picks from Phoenix as well as Philadelphia, uh, as well as some of their own in, in the long-term future. It's going to be, if the Nets are willing to mortgage their future over DeJounte Murray, I'm against it. But if the Nets can get it for a decent enough package, because, you know, DeJounte Murray is the best player available right now after Pascal Siakam's off the board. Zach Levine's cool and what, whoever else might be out there, but DeJounte Murray would move the needle. So I guess, and I think he would fit pretty well in what the Nets currently do. You know, I think it ease the ball handling responsibilities on Mikael Bridges, allow a lot of other guys to sort of slot into their roles and responsibilities in a bit more seamless fashion. So DeJounte would be the guy, but doesn't mean I don't have my hesitations. So correct me if I'm wrong. Their pick package at the moment, they have one pick now available to themselves of their own, right? And then it's four Phoenix ones in the future. Then it's one from Dallas, two from Philly. Yes. And I think some of those have protections here and there. And if the Nets can protect some of those, like in some sort of package for Zonche Murray, top 10 protected, top 12 protected, then it's just like, okay, cool. Then I can ease my sort of fears a little bit. Whereas like if it's top three protected or they're unprotected, you know, the, the, the fact that there is a bidding war worries me somewhat because of the chat that we had earlier about the Nets just wanting to be decent so they can get butts on the seats and eyeballs on the television. I think Joe Sy and Sean Marks are wanting to do that. That's a priority of theirs. So they're going to overpay for a DeJounte, a Donovan Mitchell, these sort of guys when... You know, if you hold Kettle, maybe the Sixers flame out and Embiid's available. Maybe Dallas goes down the toilet and Luka Doncic is available. You know, there's things that can happen where patience might be uh, the better route. But, you know, from what we're reading and reading the tea leaves, it seems to me that the Nets, uh, they want to do something. 
I think if you're, and we, we obviously, there was some Knicks connections to DeJounte Murray. I've never fully bought them, but I, I've understood that the Knicks are just in the market for a point guard that can, that is better than Deuce McBride at the moment. Um, I think the, the thought we have here at Knicks Film School is like, if you specifically match, not necessarily the Hawks offer that they traded for DeJounte, but if you just replace the picks they gave up those years that you could probably, if you're, because it seems like the only reason he's available is because of the second apron that they're trying, they're, that, that team's getting expensive and they don't want to, for a team that might not make the play in, they don't want to expend that much money. So this very much seems like a financial trade that the, the Hawks would be making rather than an actual trade to try and get better. And if you can replace their picks, then that's the biggest thing. Although, like you said, there may be a bidding war going on that uh, could lead to to them having to overpay. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, where the Nets end up. Is that the outside of Dejounte Murray, the expectations you have for the rest of the year? Are they wins and loss related, or is it specifically player development and more specifically transactional related? Where it's like as long as you don't trade player X, I'll be I'll be satisfied with the rest of the season. Yeah, look, I just don't want to trade Cam Thomas. I don't. I, I for me, like I as that's your guy. Just, okay, that, that's my guy. Like I think literally on my Twitter bio is CT obsessed. After someone <laughs> reviewed the Brooklyn Buzz and said that the Aussie guy like talks about Cam Thomas way too much, I'm like, cool, all right, I'll put that on my Twitter bio. But in in saying that, I think uh, I think there just needs to be a semblance of a direction. Like we spoke about, you know, the Knicks average teams, and it just feels like the Nets are now stuck in that semblance of mediocrity. Now you either try and go for a few guys and build towards going for 2025 free agency when Ben Simmons numbers are off the books and you go for that big guy and whoever it might be that is available. Or you'd prioritize player development and you sacrifice a few things and yeah, the Houston Rockets might get some decent picks out of it, but it's at the end of the day, it's much to do about muchness. So I just think a direction needs to be picked. That for me is what matters right now because being stuck in the middle, it's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember a lot of the years. So the Knicks are in the middle and it was, and you're hinting at why the middle can be no fun. Like the Raptors are going to be stuck in the middle this year. They have some young fun pieces on their team that you can look forward to. And like seeing what Emmanuel quickly is and RJ Barrett is and whoever they get for, for Bruce Brown, like them next to Scotty Barnes and Grady Dick, like, they're going to be able to say we were in the middle, but we had a season that you might have enjoyed because of the young players and what their potential could be. Whereas the Nets, from what you're telling me, it's like they're not even prioritizing the young player that could be fun to watch over the next year um, and and the, this season. Also, the CT obsessed part. So full can a confession here. Uh, so I'm looking at your Twitter account now. First of all, you, you have a picture of, I believe you and your fiance in yes. your, your Twitter bio. So congratulations. Thank you. And, sir. and it's Jack Manuel in parentheses, CT obsessed. I had no idea what that was either. I thought it was like <laughs> some Australia thing. I was like, Oh, okay, I'll explain it on the pod. But it's for Cam Thomas obsessed. Yeah, indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last thing before I let you get out of here, as far as this matchup is concerned, um, I know Daron Sharp is injured. Um, I don't know if he's going to be available. Isaiah Hartenstein is currently day-to-day with the Knicks, so two centers might not be available in this game. i got to say, as a Knicks fan, if Sharp's not going to play, then I would also rest Isaiah Hartenstein. But your thoughts on the Knicks? Any questions you have about the Knicks? Obviously, the the trade for Ananobi, they're 9-2 and two since then, and their defense is off the charts. But from your perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on the Knicks? Uh, yeah, either I, since the trade or just in, in general this season? Yeah, look, I'm relatively high on the Knicks in terms of being in that sort of tier two in the East, underneath sort of like, you know, your sixes. They might even be closer to the sixes than I think. So I was going to say, the Sixers, I think, are in tier two also. Yeah. But I know that because of Embiid, they get put in tier one often. 
Yeah, and you sort of go by like the best player at the end of the day and, and B might be the best player in the NBA right now, but he hasn't shown mm-hmm. that in postseasons, even in comparison to Jalen Brunson, who's had some big postseason performances. But I guess I just had more general questions because they sort of relate to what we were talking about with like trading for stars and such. More general questions like, who do you think Leon Rose in the front office is waiting for to pull that trigger on? Because the Nets assets right now, are pretty coveted in terms of in comparison to my Brooklyn Nets and a lot of other teams out there. You know, OKC might be the only other sort of team out there that can sort of rival them. There's probably a few others that I don't know at the top of my head. But And then the final sort of one is like, as you alluded to, there's that Knicks-Nets rivalry. Are there, whether it's you or whether it's mates of yours, I don't sort of see it like where there's Knicks fans who have a semblance of respect for whether it's Nets fans in general, the Nets franchise. Do you know any of people out there that sort of have that semblance of like, hey, the Nets are all right, man. Like they came back, they've done some stuff. Sean Mark's pretty cool. Do you know any guys out there maybe outside of yourself who has a semblance of objectivity about the the little brother across the borough? So I'll start here with the guy that want to pull the trigger for, and it's Joel Embiid. That has been the name for years now that... If he becomes available, that's the guy they're they're holding Is it Leon Rose that was his former agent? That's that's why that that he that the the connection has been made. There's look, Devin Booker was also a a Leon Rose client um, way back when. Uh, I think it it should be noted when this gets brought up that Joel Embiid left CAA. So I have no idea how much of how much it matters that Leon used to be his agent. I, I have heard from some people that like if Embiid were to ask out, the Knicks would be the team. I've also heard from some people that Embiid never plans to ask out. He wants to be in Philadelphia his whole career. So I have no idea, no idea what to to put any expectations on that. I also just, my goodness, may just be falling for this identity that the Knicks have created. They're starting five since the Ananobi trade is ridiculous. And I'm wondering if you need to make that type of fallen move or an overhaul like that. And maybe it's just like, I don't know, a backup point guard. Could you just like get lucky with some some injury luck in a postseason? And like, I I would like to see what this new team looks like against against Milwaukee. I'd like to see what this new team looks like against. I mean, we saw against Philly a couple of weeks ago. They won by forty points in Philly. So um, the Celtics are the team. I think that you want to talk about a tier one and a tier two. I actually have one team in my tier one, and it's the Celtics. Yeah. So yeah. that's why this year's a little different. But you know, I'm. If the conversation for Embiid comes up again this summer, I'll gladly entertain it. I, I think we're all kind of in New York, at least with the Knicks, we're all really learning to appreciate what they've created now in this this team that like on defense just doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. Like if, if they show up and they're ready to play, they just don't you're really going to have to just shoot ungodly. That must be nice, them. man. That must be nice because that's what the Nets should have been. And it, oh man, it must be nice. Well, so it's it's an identity thing. And when the Nets, when they when they had that that big three, their identity was like, you may be, you're going to be able to score on us. You're not going to be able to outscore us, which is why I always had a hesitation in going all in on the Nets. And then it was like, to your point about, do did I respect the Nets? Like, I had my hater hat on, but I it was impossible not to acknowledge like, oh, this team could win the title. This team could absolutely win the title. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you that if Kevin Durant's foot was an inch shorter, I think they would have won the title. <laughs> so like that ceiling that gets created when you go all in. And I think like to your to your point about do I know Knicks fans that respect the Nets? I think now post big three or big two or big one, as you put it, like there's a like, oh, like the, the Nets are on the schedule. There really isn't any animosity anymore. Like, especially now that we've finally beaten the Nets and that's that's winning streak is officially over. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I do speak on behalf of Knicks fans that are like, oh, the Nets are on the schedule. Like, we'll make the joke that there'll be more Knicks fans in the attendance, but there's no like, oh, we got to get up for this game tonight. It's very much like, oh, that's a team that actually 2019 did gain a lot of respect as far as I'm concerned that I have to take them more seriously than just this other team that used to be in New Jersey. Now they're a free agent destination that could be a New York option. Now they're like a team that has built a contender once. So maybe they could do it again. As far as right now is concerned, this is where the James Harden trade did handicap them a little bit. But like you said, they do have assets to get better eventually. So that's where that's how I feel now. I know. I don't know. Because you're active on Nets Twitter. I don't know if me laughing at the Nets has made its way around 
uh, Nets Twitter and into your your uh, into your timeline ever. But I do respect what they were able to build once and what they could potentially build again. Yeah, I think it's easier for me personally to be objective because. Again, as I alluded to, I'm not like right in there. I'm not. I'm not so like. I try to have an objective lens as much as I can, but mm-hmm. I get accused too much of probably being more passionate and emotional. And Nick is the one that provides a semblance of stability to the pod, which is, which is nice. It's sort of like you know the yin and the yang. But in, in mm-hmm. saying that, like, I think just basketball is better when the teams in the big markets are good. Like that's um, Adam Silver would want the Nets, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Celtics, the Sixers, all those teams to be good because it's going to mean cash. It's going to mean revenue. It's going to mean viewers. So yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later, we we're, we're talking about the Nets versus the Knicks and possible playoff implications, but can't see it happening for us anytime soon. But yeah, the Knicks, I think uh, they could be sneaky. They can be sneaky. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll start with, these two teams playing in a matchup against each other on Tuesday night in Brooklyn. Um, Jack, it was great to meet you, man. I'm glad that uh, I finally found. So that's, I think, this is the actual most disrespectful thing I could say about the Nets. I don't know a lot of Nets fans. Like, as far as the the Knicks fans in my life and how we deal with Nets fans, I don't deal with Nets fans. I don't know, like, any of them. They're all on the internet. So I'm glad I found another one, and I had to go to Australia to find them. Uh, Before you get out of here, please let the fine folks know where they can find you, the Brooklyn Buzz, and all of your guys' stuff. Yeah, the handle's there, at Jack Manuel on Twitter, and subscribe to the Brooklyn Buzz, all streaming platforms. We're trying to do as much content as we can. It's been a bit of a struggle lately, but myself or Nick, whether we're doing solo ones, we're doing duo ones, the Buzz will keep churning out the content. And obviously, if you subscribe to us, subscribe to every other Blue Wire basketball pod out there, including Nick's Film School. Absolutely. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Brad. Once again, a big thank you to Jack for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup against the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Buzz Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If you'd like to help out a Nets podcast, I know it requires a lot from us, but if you'd like to do so, please do so. Uh, The links are in the description. You can give them the KFS bump. Uh, Just remind them that they're little brother. Shout out to all 87 Nets fans if you'd like to. Tell them that you want to take 10 seconds to laugh at the Nets, but give them a five-star rating and a review. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head on over to our iTunes feed and give us a five-star rating and a review. I will be back on Thursday morning to preview the Knicks matchup against the Denver Nuggets. But until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.